Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When we started our study in 1 Thessalonians, I mentioned that perhaps no uh, letter that Paul wrote shares more his heart for ministry than this particular letter. And we are going to see that today when we look at uh, chapter 2 and we look at Paul's life and how he did ministry. I'd like to read it for us, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful passage this is. We see Paul's love his concern for the people that you had brought him to. And even though they had known each other only a short time, we hear his compassion, his desire to see them become mature in Christ. And Father, I pray that that kind of love and strength of relationship would characterize our church, our ministry, and our personal lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you measure the success or failure of a ministry? Is it simply by size or numbers? Is it by the budget or buildings? Or is it by the quality of the people a ministry produces? And likewise, how do you measure the success or failure of an individual life? Is it by awards and honors? Is it by titles and degrees? Is it by how much money someone makes or accumulates in their life? Or is there something more? What would define success for you? And what is it that God is looking for in us? Apparently, there were people who viewed Paul's ministry in Thessalonica as a failure. We sense that from his first comment here where he is defending himself and saying that his ministry was not a failure. We're not sure who these critics were, whether they were inside the church or outside. 
Uh, they may have been false teachers who came in later, might have been Judaizers, legalists, or Gnostics. But the most likely answer is that they were the same Jews who had tried to run Paul out of the city earlier. And they were now continuing to disparage Paul and to put him down and to discourage these new believers who were starting to meet as a church in Thessalonica. Was Paul's ministry a failure? Was his second missionary journey worth the effort? I mean, think about all that he had experienced so far. In Philippi, he is arrested, beaten, and thrown in jail. In Thessalonica, an angry mob forces him to leave the city. In Berea, the same thing happens. Angry men come and do the same thing, forcing him to leave. In Athens, people listened with politeness and curiosity, but only a few believed. Only in Corinth did he have a greater reception and stay a longer period of time, some 18 months. But even there, it was not without problems and divisions. Was his journey a failure? What is it that God expects from his people? Well, the answer in a word is faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the Scripture says, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And faithfulness carries with it the ideas of loyalty and obedience to what God has said. And in that regard, Paul was a model for ministry. He understood what God had asked of him, and he took the gospel that he had been given to all who would listen. When I look at Paul's life, I see four things there that really are an example for each of us. These are the areas that God wants us to be faithful in as well. And when I think about this passage, which is a model for ministry, it is applicable to pastors like myself. It's applicable to missionaries that God will call out. But it also applies to all of us, for all of us have an area in the church where we are called to serve and to use our gifts to be a blessing to others. And so I want you to think about this text in that way. Number one, God calls us to be faithful in our calling. When you think about the Apostle Paul, what was he called to do? He was called as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was to take the gospel outside of that circle of Judaism to those who had never heard about Jesus before. And he traveled all over the Mediterranean region doing exactly that. And when Paul looked at his time in Thessalonica, Paul did not consider his visit there a failure, and neither should they. He mentions his suffering in Philippi. He said, you know, we had previously suffered there and been insulted, as you know. I mean, not only were they arrested, beaten, thrown in jail, put in stocks, but they had been denied their rights as Roman citizens. They had been publicly shamed, and then when the authorities realized what they had done, they tried to secretly, you know, let Paul and Silas go and hope that they wouldn't make a scene about this. And Paul asked for them to come and publicly acknowledge what they had done. 
And so Paul is released. They are injured. They are hurting, but they continue to make their journey some 100 miles to the city of Thessalonica. And so it would continue on his journey as God would lead. We also see Paul's priorities reflected in this passage. In verse 4, he talks about himself as one who has been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And he tells us that his ambition is not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. God comes first. Paul knows that in the final day, it is God's opinion that is going to matter, not the opinion of men. And so he made it his aim to please the Lord wherever he was, whatever he was doing, to put him first. Courage, obedience, and a Godward focus marked Paul's life. And it should with us as well. But it's not always easy, is it? And there are risks involved in that. Michael Ramsden is a co-worker with Ravi Zacharias in his ministry. And he shared this true story that comes from a minister in Iran. As this minister was driving with his wife, they stopped in a small Iranian village to purchase some water. And before entering, the minister noticed that there was a man standing near the entrance, holding a machine gun, dark beard, looking kind of threatening, standing there. And as his wife looked at this man, she saw something different. And she took a Bible and she gave it to her husband and she said, give that man this Bible. Her husband looked at the man, looked at his wife and said, I don't think so. (laughs) And then she persisted. She said, I'm serious. Give it to him. Please give him this Bible. And her husband, trying to avoid the issue, said, okay, I'll pray about it. He went into the shop, purchased the water, climbed back into the car, started to drive away, and his wife said, I guess you didn't give him the Bible, did you? And looking straight ahead, he replied, no, I prayed about it, and it wasn't the right thing to do. And she quietly said, you should have given him the Bible. And then she bowed her head and started praying. And at that point, he turned around and told his wife, fine, if you want me to die, I will. (laughs) What's funny about this is it reminds me at times of conversations maybe you've had with your wife or your wife has one view and you have another view and you're uh, thinking this through and listen to your wife. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, the minister turned around, went back to the store, And the man with the machine gun was still standing there. The minister approached him, placed a Bible in his hand. When the man opened it and saw that it was a Bible, he started to cry. He said, I don't live here, and I had to walk for three days to get to this village. But three days ago, an angel appeared to me and told me to walk to this village and wait until someone had given me the book of life. Thank you for giving me this book. Now, that that minister was a courageous witness for Christ, and he went on to share the gospel with many people. But I am sad to report that eventually he and several other of his co-workers in the Iranian church were martyred for their faith. There are 
risks in sharing the gospel. And especially in certain parts of the world where being a Christian is not popular, where being a Christian could literally get you killed. When I think of God's call to go to the nations in the Great Commission, I realize that there are dangers in that. And even some of the missionaries we may send out may die. They may put their life on the line for the gospel, and they may be rejected and even killed. I think of the motto of the U.S. Coast Guard. When you think of the U.S. Coast Guard as being charged with protecting our nation's shores, and sometimes they're involved in dangerous search and rescue, their motto is semper paratus, always ready. Always ready, just like 1 Peter 3.15, that we are to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. And underlying that motto is this belief that you have to go out, you don't have to come back. They are willing to put their life on the line to rescue others. And the gospel calls us to have that same kind of attitude. We are also called to be faithful in our message. The message that we have been given is the gospel. It's the good news that God has provided a way that we can be saved from the wrath that is coming. And Paul will talk about that in this passage with the Thessalonians. The gospel is God's message. It is not ours in that sense. It has been entrusted to us. We are entrusted with the gospel. The gospel is God's plan of salvation. The gospel is God's truth. And in Galatians 1.8, Paul said that if anyone comes to you, if even an angel would come to you and preach a different gospel than the one that you have heard, let him be eternally condemned. We are entrusted with this message. We don't have the right to change it or edit it we are to speak the truth of what God has said. You know, I think of these words entrusted with the gospel, and I take that very seriously in my ministry too. Those words are stamped on my diploma from the seminary I went to, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. It's put there. It's signed by those who signed off on my diploma that we speak as men approved by God who have been entrusted with this message. And so my calling is to preach and teach that as accurately and as faithfully as I can. You know, when you entrust something to someone, you expect them to take care of it, don't you? I mean, if you were to give someone a possession that you owned, uh, you would want them to honor that just like you would honor that. For example, I'll use something that's kind of a, a, maybe a lighter illustration here. But when I was a kid, I used to collect baseball cards. And in those baseball cards, I once got a Mickey Mantle card, and I was really excited about that. You know, and I, I wanted to take good care of this card because even back then, he was one of those players that was well-known and, and uh, was a pretty good baseball player in his day, wasn't he? 
well, if I gave this to you and I said, you know, I want you to take care of this for me and then I'm going to come and I'm going to ask for it back someday, you know, would I want you to take it out of its plastic case and use it as a coaster for your coffee cup? You know, I, I don't think so. You know, or would I want you to write on it or dog-eared or bend it or things like that? No, I wouldn't. Because when I asked for it again, I'd want you to have taken care of it like I would myself. And when God gives us the gospel, he wants us to honor that. He wants us to speak the truth of it. And so when we talk about the way of salvation and that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved and that there is the reality of a heaven and a hell and where we spend eternity depends upon where we place our faith and our confidence, that's the gospel. And that's the message that we share. You see, next to himself, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has given us the most valuable gift he could give us. He has given us his word. And so when I think about the gospel, I am thinking also about all of Scripture that has been entrusted to us. And we get these instructions from Paul on how we are to handle it. In 2 Timothy 1.14, he said, guard it well. Guard the good deposit that has been given to you. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he said, handle it well. That we are to be workmen who are not ashamed, who handle accurately the word of truth. He said in 2 Timothy 4.2 that we are to preach it and teach it well. That we are to preach the word in season and out of season. We are to reprove and rebuke and exhort with great patience and careful instruction. And fourth, he tells us that we are to live it well. He tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16, to watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in these things, because if you do, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for all who hear you. Live it well. When Paul came and he shared the good news of the gospel, it was not with trickery or flattery or out of selfish motives. He did it with integrity, with faithfulness. Thirdly, we are to be faithful in our love for God's people and for the church. Paul writes in verse 6 and following that we could have been a burden to you. As apostles of Christ, we had the right to ask for you to support us in our ministry. But Paul chose not to do that when he was on these missionary journeys, church planting. Uh, he did receive support. The church at Philippi sent some to help him when he was working in other parts of Macedonia and, and Achaia. Uh, and that is similar to what we do when we send out missionaries too. We support them so that the people that they are going to are not expected to compensate them when they are there sharing the gospel and establishing churches. But once churches are established and are growing, then God calls them to be self-supporting in this work of ministry and to do that well. We as a church have grown where we have not only become self-supporting of our own ministry, but are able to give generously to missions and to these other ventures that we are involved in. And God expects that. Now, Paul, in this passage, describes his work among these people as a labor of love. 
He tells them that we were gentle with you, like a mother caring for her children. That's a metaphor that we understand. I mean, when we think of the work that a mother does in a home, preparing meals, cleaning the house or bathrooms or washing clothes or listening to you when you come home at the end of the day, praying for you, reading to her children, nursing those who are sick, caring for you, getting up in the middle of the night to feed an infant or to care for a child who's woken up with a bad dream. A mom functions in all of these ways and so many more. She is not heavy-handed, not demanding, but sacrificial, caring, and nurturing. And Paul said that's ministry. That's what ministry is like. It's not being heavy-handed. It's not demanding things of others. Ministry is coming alongside those that are hurting. It is loving. It is caring for them. It's encouraging them to walk with God and to grow in their faith. Paul loved the Thessalonians, and we see that. He said, you had become very dear to us in even that short time that they were together. Paul also talks about how we work night and day not to be a burden to you. Paul worked as a tent maker. He was a leather worker. And he plied his trade even if that meant he had to work long hours to be self-supporting so that he could minister to these individuals. So that there would be no question about his motives. Others might come. False teachers would come. Charlatans would come. Those who wanted to fleece the flock, if you will, or to make a lot of money off of these people, Paul would not do that. Paul wanted them to know that his motives were pure. And Paul also said in verse 11 that we dealt with you as a father does his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. And I think about that. You know, mothers and fathers... Comfort and encourage in different ways, don't they? You know, in our home with three sons, I was the one who was out throwing the ball around in the backyard or I'd wrestle with them on the floor and we'd be doing that kind of roughhousing and fun things. And, you know, the kids, they loved it. They loved every minute of it. But they also knew when I was serious and when it was time to listen. They knew when it was time to learn or to do their responsibilities or chores around the house. But most of all, they knew that we loved them. Mom and Dad loved them. And we showed that in the ways that we treated them. You can't do ministry without love. You can't do ministry. It won't be effective without love for people. The Thessalonians saw in Paul's life the evidence of his love and compassion, and that example is powerful. It still is. When Nelson Mandela died, Joyce Banda, the president of Malawi, shared this profound lesson that she learned from him about leadership. She said, I learned that leadership is about falling in love with the people and the people falling in love with you. That's ministry too. Growing in your love for God and your love for one another. 
And fourth, what we see in this passage is that we are to be faithful in our character and in our ambition and in our goals, if you will. And we see that in verses 10 to 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For again, he says, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul appeals to them to think about what they saw in his life and in Silas's life. And he uses these words over and over again. I mean, you go back to verses 1 to 6 where he's saying, you know, you know, you know. Verse 9, he says, you remember our hardship. Verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God. You know. I mean, he's not telling them anything that they haven't seen. So what did they see in Paul and Silas's life? Well, they saw men who were holy, righteous, and blameless. Men who had character. Men who were men of integrity in that regard. They saw men who worked hard not to be a burden. They saw men of courage who risked their lives to bring them the gospel. They saw men of integrity who were not in this ministry to make a lot of money. There was no greed in them or desire for profit here. And they saw men who genuinely loved God and loved people. They felt that, and they were the beneficiaries of that. That's our goal, too. That when we witness to the people in our neighborhoods or at work, where we live, in those settings that we have, we want to be people that conduct ourselves with holiness and righteousness and are blameless. We want to be people who are courageous, who take that risk to share the gospel with others. We want to be people of integrity, not greedy, not self-centered, but people who serve. We want to be people who love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Paul's ambition was to see them become mature believers in Christ, to live a life worthy of the God who had called them. That's really awesome. That is our goal, too. You know, when God called me here in ministry many years ago now, I asked my wife if she would calligraphy for me two verses that are really at the heart of my ministry, that these are what um, I have desired to do all the way through. Those two verses are Colossians 1, 28 and 29. They're on the wall of my office. I look at them every day. And it is where Paul said this. He said, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, God laid that on my heart many years ago that I want our ministry to all be about him, about lifting up Christ, about making him known, about telling about his love and his greatness. Because when we lift up Jesus Christ, he works and he draws people to himself. 
Our role as those that are involved in the church and ministry is to admonish, to encourage everyone, men and women, students, boys and girls, to put their trust in Christ, teaching them with all wisdom, sharing from the Scripture, so that one day we may present every man complete in Christ. I mean, wouldn't that be a glorious thing with one day when we stand before the Lord, we can go one by one and we could say, you know, Jesus, here's John. And he has grown and he has become complete in Christ. Or here's Paul and he has grown and he has become mature in Christ. Or here is, you know, and you go through and one by one and name all of you by name. And you have become all that God intended you to be. That's our desire, that we would grow toward maturity and we are in this together. How do we measure the success or failure of a ministry or a person's life? I don't think it's by numbers. And I don't think it's by the size of a budget or how big a building is. I think that the way that we measure that is by our faithfulness. And if we are faithful, God will do his work. We are to be faithful in our calling, putting him first, that we honor him, we follow him. This is his work, and we're going to use our gifts for his honor and glory. We are to be faithful in the gospel, handling the word of God accurately, carefully. We are to be faithful in our love for one another, giving preference to one another, helping, serving, praying, loving, bearing one another's burdens, all of those one another commands that are in Scripture. We're to be faithful in our character and ambition, being Christ-like in both our actions and in our motives. And when we do that, God works. I want to end today with a poem that is entitled God's Hall of Fame. It was written by a man named Alf Hutchinson. What's interesting is that when John Wooden, that legendary basketball coach at UCLA, when he was inducted into the Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, he read this particular poem. And I think that's interesting. I want you to hear it in that light. He said, Your name may not appear down here in this world's Hall of Fame. You may be so unknown that few even know your name. Fame and fortune pass you by and are given to a few. But if you love and serve the Lord, then there is good news for you. This Hall of Fame is only good as long as time shall be. But keep in mind God's Hall of Fame well, that is for eternity. To have your name inscribed up there is greater, yes, by far, than all the Hall of Fames down here and every man-made star. The crowd on earth, they soon forget the heroes of the past. They cheer like mad until you fall, and that's how long you last. But God, he never does forget. And in his Hall of Fame, by just believing in his Son inscribed, you'll find your name. I tell you, friends, I wouldn't trade my name, however small, that's written there beyond the stars in that celestial hall. For every famous name on earth or glory that they share, I'd rather be an unknown here and have my name up there. Let's pray. Father, 
may we be faithful. That's our prayer, that we would love you with all our heart, that we would use our gifts to serve you, that we would give you our very best all for Jesus. And I thank you for this church, that we do not, again, walk this journey alone, but you have given us brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us, to support us, to pray with us, to help us along that way, and in turn for us to help one another. So would you bless us as we do that? Make us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.